when I see a leader, the letter E is I think and I see the word excellence. Leaders excel, and the word excel means to go beyond average. That's what leaders do. Leaders excel. I love what Dale Carnegie said. It's in your notes. Don't be afraid to give your best to what seemingly are small jobs. Every time you conquer one, it makes you that much stronger. If you do little jobs well, the big ones tend to take care of themselves. Leaders excel. My daughter Elizabeth graduated last year from high school. It was my privilege to be able to speak at her graduation. And so I, I talked to the graduates about what I call the Rebecca Principle. It's a great principle that every leader needs to understand and grab hold of. You know the story well. Abraham has sent his servant to get a bride for Isaac, and so he goes back to the homeland. And the servant is trying to discern who the right woman would be, and so he prays a prayer, and he goes down to where the women are drawing water in the evening, and Rebecca comes down, and you know the story. She sees this stranger, and she offers him some water. But then what she does is amazing, because she not only offers him water, but she says, I not only will give you water, but she says, I'll also draw water for your camels. Now, to give him water is one thing, but you talk about excelling or going beyond average or walking the second mile. When Rebecca said, I'll give water to your camels, that was a huge statement. The servant had ten camels. An average camel after a day will consume 20 gallons of water. So when Rebecca said, I'll give your camels something to drink, she was saying, I will now spend the next couple of hours of my life going over here to this well with my jug that probably held no more than five gallons and laying that, go down to the bottom of the well and pulling out that five jug gallon water and I'll come over here to this water trough and I'll do this. I'm going to make in the next two hours 40 trips. I mean, if each trip just took her three minutes, I mean, it took her three minutes to, to do that one time and go down, drop that jug down there, pull out that water, go back over that drop, drop it. If it just took her three minutes, it would take her two hours to water those camels. So when Rebecca said, I want you to know I'm not only going to give you something to drink, but I'll also give your camels something to drink, I mean, this was a huge statement. I mean, Rebecca now is going way beyond what would ever be thought of as accepted or way beyond average. And she did. Of course, we know the story. You see, Rebecca's mindset and philosophy is totally opposite of what we find in today's society. You see, today's philosophy is this. Minimum effort for maximum expectation. We want to know how little can I do and how much will I receive. Now, Jesus addresses the Rebecca principle. He addresses this issue of going beyond average. When he talked, to, when he talked one time, and, and, and let me just listen to these words, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, unless it goes further, in other words, beyond the call of duty, unless it goes beyond what you are paid to do, forced to do, asked to do, unless your whole life, your spirit and your outlook exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, he said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. 
You see, today's philosophy is minimum effort for maximum return, where Rebecca's principle was very simple but much different. Maximum effort for minimum expectation. Rebecca said, how much can I give to you without thinking of any kind of return for herself? You see, Rebecca teaches us three things. Number one, we are not to live our lives as a legalist. What's that mean? We need to cut out the eye for an eye. You did this for me, I'll do this for you. Let's make it even distribution. Let's keep score. We gotta cut this legalism out. Leaders are not legalists. Can I tell you something about leadership? Listen to me very carefully. A leader will always give to his or her people more than he or her will ever receive back. So if you're into this equal return, I'm promising you're in trouble. Don't ever, don't ever lead people thinking that if you do that somehow, that, that, that you, you poured into their life on Monday and Tuesday they'll, they'll, they'll return an equal amount. I just did an interview with Leadership Magazine on an, an article that's coming out this coming fall on leadership. And one of the questions they asked me in the leadership interview was, have you poured your life into people and found out that the people you poured your life into didn't always come back and rise up to the highest level? I said, that's one of the greatest disappointments of any leader's life. I mean, I could spend, spend the next hour talking to you about people I poured my life into and, and you know, gave the best and cared for and, and took and did everything I could, put time, energy, money, everything into their life and, and only find out that somewhere along the, the ride they decided they want to get off the train. Don't we all have stories like that? We're not to live our life as a legalist. As a leader, quit wait, waiting for your people to provide adequate compensation, whatever that is. I want to talk to you today on the subject, leadership is influence. It's not title, it's not position, it's not where you are on a job chart. Here's the best way I can explain this. If you and I would leave this conference right now and we would go somewhere in the Fayetteville area, and, and we would w go to a preschool or walk up and, and, and look over to where some kids are, are playing outside without talking to a teacher, without talking to uh, any of the kids. In five minutes, just watching children, we could pick out who the leaders are. Isn't that true? I mean, it's very easy to pick out a leader because there's one kid going across the field and he's got a soccer ball under his arm and he's got five kids chasing after him and there's another kid that's organizing. I mean, you can tell who the leaders are because they influence other kids. Well, it's not only true with kids, it's true with adults also. The person in your organization right now that has the most influence is the leader of that organization. Now, this is where the problem is. So many of us have what I call leadership positions. For some of you, you're senior pastors. For some of you, you're departmental heads over certain sections in the church. For some of you, you're business owners. We have leadership positions. Where the conflict comes in is that when we have a leadership position but we're not a leader or we haven't been trained to be a leader, we become very frustrated because there are things that we need to do but we can't pull off. In fact, I always jokingly say to pastors, if at any time in your leadership with your congregation, if at any time you have to stand up in front of your people and say to them, follow me, I'm the leader, you're not. No leader ever has to declare himself or herself. Never. 
Never one time in my life have I ever declared that I'm the leader of the pack. I haven't even thought about it. It never enter, enter, enters my mind. Never think, okay, I've got to tell these people I'm the leader of this group. Because I promise you, the one with the most influence is the leader. And wherever there is the crowd, that's where the leader is. In fact, it is impossible to be a leader without influence. And so therefore, when a pastor comes up to me and says, my people won't follow me as a leader, what should I do? The first thing you ought to do is redefine leadership. You're not a leader. If they're not following you, you may be a good person, you may God be godly, you're going to go to heaven, but you don't have a clue about leadership. Now, where I learned leadership as influence was in my first church in Hillham, and so I want to start this session off by telling you a story about when I went to my first church in southern Indiana. Now, first of all, you got to understand, I don't know what leadership is. I mean, I've graduated second in my, I'm number two in my college class. Uh, I'm going to my first church. I've never had a leadership class. I've never had a leadership uh, lecture. I've never had anybody sit down and say, here's what you're supposed to do as a leader. Now, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? What am I going to do? I'm going to supposedly lead a church the rest of my life or lead an organization and be a pastor. Now, isn't it interesting? I'm going to lead people and nobody ever thought to teach me leadership. Now, they did teach me the difference between the dichotomy and the trichotomy of the spirit. Now that is a burning issue on the heart of people that will greatly change lives. No wonder Christianity Today said 85% of what you and I ever learn in seminary will never use in our lifetime. I can't think it would be nice if they would teach us something practical, helpful, life-changing. But then they'd have to get a whole new curriculum, and that's another story. We don't need to get into that. So here I go to my first church board meeting. I have no clue how to have a church board meeting. Just a handful of country folks. And I walk in, and I, I remember I looked at them. I thought, oh my, what am I going to do tonight? And, and because I'm pastoral, I thought, well, at least I'll kind of start us off in a spiritual tone. So I said, well, let's pray, because, you know, I know how to pray. So I asked God to help us. And when I got done, I, I looked at them, and I said, now, let me ask you a question. Do any of you have anything on your heart? I kind of thought I'd open it up like a prayer and pray service. And as soon as I asked that question, there was a guy in the room by the name of Claude. Now, Claude was a farmer. And he stood up, and he said, well, yeah, he said, there are a couple things we need to talk about tonight. And Claude took off. Now, what was really neat is, while Claude would talk to the people in the boardroom uh, about things that needed to be done, there was a guy who sat right beside him by the name of Benny. This is the slickest thing I ever saw. Claude would say it, and Benny would second it. And everybody would say aye. And, and, I, and I, I just sat there in amazement that night. Finally, Claude was done, and he looked at me and said, well, preacher, he said, I think we're done tonight. He said, you can close in prayer. And I said, well, I think I will. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, when I got home, my wife, Margaret, who was really anxious about that night, because she knew how I was anxious about that night, was waiting up for me. And when I came, and she said, how'd it go? How'd it go? And I said, oh, babe, I said, got this church figured out. I said, it went great. I said, I only need two people. God and Claude. <laughs> And then, and then I said, if, if, I, if I only get one, I'm voting for Claude. 
because Claude keeps showing up all the time. I mean, he's real consistent. Now, what I understood in that first board meeting is very simple. Claude was the influencer of the group. Now, Claude didn't know he was a leader. In fact, if you went up and said, Claude, are you a leader? He said, oh, absolutely not. I'm a farmer. He made, I wouldn't press him. I'm not even sure he knew how to spell the word. But he are one. Well, he said, it's obvious to me. We need to paint that front door, fix that thing. I said, I like that. I said, I like that. I said, uh, Claude, would you mind next Tuesday night at the board meeting, would you just bring that up and talk to the other people? Oh, he said, sure. He said, preacher, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. Well, I said, Claude, you know, right behind the, the, the platform, we've got those three Sunday school rooms. One on the right uh, uh, has, a, you know, we only could put about 10 people in it. It would be real small rooms. But they got, we got a Sunday school class with one on the right. We've got a Sunday school class with one on the left. And they're both full. Now, I said, the one in the middle, it's that we don't even have a class in there. There's just some junk in there. I've got last year's manger scene from the nativity set. And, you know, we've got stuff in there. I said, what are we going to do? Well, he said, I think we ought to start another Sunday school class, put it in that middle room. I said, I like that, too. I said, uh, would you mind Tuesday night, the board meeting, would you, would you mind helping me out? Oh, he said, don't worry about it. Sure. He said, well, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. I said, Claude, have you been down in the basement of the church? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, there's a couple inches of water down there. Frogs are hopping around. Crawdads are crawling around. I said, what, what, what are we going to do? He said, well, he said, that's ridiculous. He said, we can't have Sunday school class down there with, that, with it like that. He said, we need to clean that up. I said, well, I think so. He said, I said, would you? Oh, he said, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. Next Tuesday night, board meeting, I opened up in prayer. Looked out and said, does anybody have anything on their heart tonight? Claude stood up, got his list out. Said, preacher, it's going to take a long while. I said, you can sit down. I said, I think I will. He looked at the board and he said, have any of you noticed the front door in our church? He said, personally, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> he said, the paint is peeling and cracking. He said, he said, let me ask you a question. He said, what do you think visitors think when they walk up that wall? He said, I make a motion. We get the old paint off and a brand new fresh coat of paint on there. He said before Sunday, Benny's sitting right beside him. I said, that's a great idea, Claude. He said, I second it. Everybody said, I. Claude said, I'll tell you something else. He said, here we got, we've got these three rooms behind the platform on the right of Sunday school class, one on the left Sunday school class. They're both full. We can't grow anymore in Sunday school. He said, but we've got this middle room. And he said, that we don't even have a class in We've just got a bunch of junk in there. And main, last year's manger scene. He said, let's clean it up. And he looked back at Maxine Wilson. She had an appliance store she owned in West Baden. And she, he, looked at, he looked at Maxine and said, Maxine, he said, uh, I'd like you to be the teacher of that class. He said, I I've heard you substitute before. He said, you do a real fine job. He said, especially, he said, when you have one of them there quarterlies, he said, you do a real good job. <laughs> he said, I'll personally get you a quarterly. 
And he said, I want you to teach that Sunday school class. My wife, Esther, and I will be the first two in that classroom. He said, you teach a class, and we're going to get it started next Sunday. And I looked back at Maxine Wilson. She was sitting there, big old tears coursing down her cheeks. I said, well, Brother Claus said, I'll do my best. If you think I can do it, I'll, I'll sure do my best for you and for Jesus. And Benny said, it's a good idea. I second, and everybody said, all right. Todd looked at the board and said, let me ask you a question. Have any of you been down in the basement of our church? He said, there's a couple inches of water down there. He said, frogs are hopping around and crawdads are crawling around. He said, we can't have our kids down there for Sunday school with that kind of a condition. He said, we need to, we need to clean up the basement. He said, we need to do it Saturday morning. He said, here's what we're going to do. He looked at Ab Lagenauer and said, Ab, can you bring your truck? Leon, you bring your truck. I'll bring mine. He said, let's all bring a couple people in the neighborhood. He said, let's start at 8 o'clock by noon. He said, we'll have the basement all cleaned up. Benny said, that's a great idea. He said, I second it. And everybody said, all right. Claude looked at me and said, well, preacher, he said, uh, I think we're done. You can close in prayer. I said, well, I think I will. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I pastored that church for three years and three months. We grew from three to 300. Not one time in any board meeting in those three years, three months, did I ever personally carry an agenda item to the meeting. Every month, about a week before the board meeting, I went down on the farm. Claude and I did the chores and talked about the church. He carried the ball all the way for me. Wasn't it Mark Twain who said, it's amazing what could happen in an organization if the leader doesn't care who gets the credit? Oh, by the way, when I got ready to leave that church, I had a fellow who followed me. I went to college with him. His name was Denny. And I sat down in the villager inn at that restaurant with Denny, and I began to share with him about Claude and me and the relationship and what had happened. And I just kind of shared and suggested Denny. I said, really, I don't need to tell you how to do anything, but he said, I suggest you just kind of come alongside of Claude and work with him and give him the ideas and let him carry the ball. I'm telling you, the more I talked about Claude, the more angry Denny became. I mean, he's sitting up there in that booth. I can still see him. He's, now he's leaning intently over at me, and, and finally it's his time to talk. And he's, he's pounding the table between us, and he's pointing at me. He's looking at me. He said, let me tell you something, John. He said, that may be the way you led this church. He may be the way you run the church. But he said, I want to tell you something. He said, when I come to this church, I'm going to be the leader of this church, not Claude. And I sat there in that booth in Village Inn, and I kind of leaned back, and I said to myself, so... There is a stupid man. <laughs> Can I tell you, when you got saved, it didn't make you smart. There's an awful lot of stupid Christians going to heaven. Are you all right out there? Do they love Jesus? Yep. They're going to heaven? Yep. Do they have a clue? Not a clue. There's Denny saying he's going to be the leader of the church. See, Denny doesn't understand anything about leadership. Denny doesn't understand. You don't, need, you don't get to declare leadership. You, you don't get to say, I'm the leader. That's not your privilege. 
It's not your honor. <laughs> and Denny did exactly what he said. He went to that church, declared he was the leader, didn't need Claude, didn't need the farm. That church took a nosedive. Nothing was getting through. In fact, I know for a fact, eight months after Denny was there, one day Claude came up to him before the service, put his arm around him and said, I think this would be a good day for you to resign. The fat lady just sang. The party's over. Turn out the lights, baby. Now, by the way, Denny never has figured this thing out. His whole ministry has been going from church to church to church to places of ministry to places of ministry. I, I, I would imagine he's been in 15 places in 25 years. No matter where he goes, he hasn't figured this thing out yet. And he stays for a little while and he can't handle it there and he's got to go somewhere else. And it's always going to get better in the next place. Can I tell you something? It doesn't get better because you change locations. It gets better because you change mindsets. The only change you need to work on is not the change of location in your life. The change you and I need to work on is between our ears. And the moment that you and I begin to understand leadership and begin to, to come alongside and, and, and really figure this leadership thing out and understand that it's influence. A great story. I could tell you Claude stories all the day, oh, by the way. In fact, I was telling this story in, in, in Illinois and, and about 600 pastors and Claude's son who's in the ministry was there. And when I got done telling the story and everybody's cracking up, I'll never forget he came up, hugged me, he gave me a big hug. He said, he said my dad still runs the church. Of course he does. Can you understand and accept the fact that there are some people that ran it before you got there, will run it while you are there, and will run it after you leave, and will run it after Jesus comes? <laughs> oh, that's just a thought. You see, Leadership's influence. And the one with the most influence is the leader of the pack. Always has been, always will be. I'll, I'll never forget, one day I'm talking to Claude, and I said, Claude, you know, we ran out of room. I mean, we really ran out of room. We didn't have any room in the church. In fact, it got to the place where we were running 150, and the church only seated 85, and I didn't know anything about going to two services. I, I, I didn't know anything about that at that time, back in the, in, in the late 60s, early 70s. And, and, and so what we did is, you could, if you were a member of the church, if you're a board member, you could come, but you couldn't sit down. You know, we'd let you come. You just had to stand. Because we needed, and then, then it got to a place we could only park 33 cars out front. You could, if you were a member of the church, you could come to church. You just couldn't park your car in the parking lot. You had to park it and walk. In fact, we had two questions on membership survey questionnaire. When you're getting ready to join the church, we'd, we'd ask them, one, do you know Christ as Savior? And number two, will you park your car somewhere else? <laughs> and, and they had to answer one, yes to one of those questions. Anyway. We were running out of room, and I looked at Claude, I said, Claude, you know what? We need, we need to relocate and build church. He said, you're right, preacher. He said, we need to. I said, Claude, do you think you can find some land? He said, of course I can. I said, do you want me to get some? I said, go get some land. That was Saturday morning, about 10, about 2.30 in the afternoon. He called me on the phone and said, well, I got some. <laughs> he said, just went down the road about a quarter of a mile. You know, the Lions property up there on the left, up on that hill. He said, they got six, seven acres. They said they'd give us what we need, sell us what we needed. He said, we shook hands. So they said, we got our land. 
Man, I said, that's great, Claude. I said, who's going to build the church? Well, he said, I've always used the French Lick Lumberyard Company down there. He said, they do a good job building every building I've ever had. He said, have you met the guy that owns the company? I said, well, no. He said, well, get in the truck. Let's go down and meet him. I got in the truck. We went down, got out of the truck. Claude introduced me to the guy that owned it. They talked a little small talk for a moment. And Claude said, well, you know, he said, we're growing down there. We're going to buy some land over there on the Lions property. He said, we need somebody to build the church. He said, uh, let me ask you a question. He said, can you build this for us? And he got out a legal pad. Drew a church, put a steeple on top. <laughs> Say, can you build this? <laughs> guy said, yep, think I can. <laughs> Shook cans, had her builder. <laughs> oh, if life would have been so simple in San Diego. <laughs> Our people are excited. We're going to, the next Sunday, we're going to break ground. I mean, they were thrilled. I mean, they were excited. My district superintendent called me, middle of the week, and said, how's it going? I said, man, it's going great. In fact, we're going to break ground. In fact, come on down. We'd love to have you. Come on down. We'll have you pray, pray. I'd love to have you. Got real quiet on the other end. He said, that's why I'm calling. Now I could tell there was a problem. I said, uh-oh, what's the problem? Well, he said, I, I don't think you've gone through the proper procedure yet. So well, what do you mean? He said, well, let's start at the basic. He said, what was the vote of the congregation? I said, they didn't vote. He said, they didn't vote. You're going to go build a building. You're going to buy land. They didn't vote. He said, who in the world told you you could do this? I said, Claude said. <laughs> Number one, we are not to live our lives as a legalist. What's that mean? We need to cut out the eye for an eye. You did this for me, I'll do this for you. Let's make it even distribution. Let's keep score. We've got to cut this legalism out. Leaders are not legalists. Can I tell you something about leadership? Listen to me very carefully. A leader will always give to his or her people more than he or her will ever receive back. So if you're into this equal return, I'm promising you're in trouble. Don't ever, don't ever lead people thinking that if you do that somehow, that, that, that you, you poured into their life on Monday and Tuesday they'll, they'll, they'll return an equal amount. I just did an interview with Leadership Magazine on an, an article that's coming out this coming fall on leadership. One of the questions they asked me in the leadership interview was, have you poured your life into people and found out that the people you poured your life into didn't always come back and rise up to the highest level? I said, that's one of the greatest disappointments of any leader's life. I mean, I could spend, spend the next hour talking to you about people I poured my life into and, and you know, gave the best and cared for and, and took and did everything I could, put time, energy, money, everything into their life and, and only find out that somewhere along the, the ride they decided they want to get off the train. Don't we all have stories like that? We're not to live our life as a legalist. As a leader, quit wait, waiting for your people to provide adequate compensation, whatever that is. I can still remember my first church in Hillham, Indiana, little country, rural, conservative farming community. I can still remember sitting in the first board meeting with these people, and I mean, they didn't have, I mean, it's an old rundown building, and uh, over 100 years old, roof, sag walls, bowed. I can't even picture for you how bad it was. And they looked at me and they were very frustrated because they didn't think they had a chance to get this young kid out of college. And they said, we can only give you $80 a week and that isn't going to be able to take care of you and, and your wife. 
And then they said, well, you know what we'll do? I'll tell you what, we'll let, we'll let you work on the side. You can, you can, you can be a bivocational part-time pastor. And I'll never forget, before I could ever say a word, my wife, who at that time was very quiet and very shy, she stood up. She said, no, you don't understand. She said, my husband's going to come to this church, and he's going to work this church full-time. He's going to work 67 hours a week. He's going to work this full-time. Now she said, I'm a teacher. I'll get a job. And she not only got a job as teaching, but she... She taught kindergarten a half a day every day, but she also worked at a jewelry store and, 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 and cleaned houses on the weekends. She said, I'll do all that. She said, he, he's going to build a great church here. And we poured, into that little, we poured into that little community so much more than we ever asked out of it. Can I tell you something? As a pastor for years, I was always a little bit leery of the, of the, the potential staff member who came in, and their first question is, what am I going to get out of this job? What's my salary going to be? What's the compensation? How long is my vacation going to be? Well, the good news for you, it's going to be forever because you're not working for me. <laughs> Have a lifetime sabbatical. <laughs> Leaders never calculate up the dividends and make a decision based on the return. Leaders take people up a mountain, up a hill. They may know it even costs them dearly, but they're going. They're, they're, they, leaders take somebody someplace where they need to be. The second thing that Rebecca teaches us is that we cannot walk the second mile until we've walked the first. Oh, I love it. She said, let me give you water to drink first. Now let me take care of your camels. She had it in order. Do the first things first. Do the second things second. And, and I love what my friend Zig Ziglar said. Zig said one time, he said, he said, it's wonderful traveling the second mile because there's a lot less traffic there. How true. Third thing Rebecca teaches us is this. Extra blessings are a result of extra effort. Little did Rebecca know. Little, little, bit, little did Rebecca know. That when she went the extra mile, that she was going to become the great, 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 great grandmother of the Messiah. She didn't know that. And the leaders that I know that are successful, they never go into something looking at the return. They never, they never say, well, I'm going to do this, and if I do this, I'll get this back. No, they do it because, listen, why not do it because it's right? There's a place, there's a store called Nordstrom's out on the west coast. It's coming east. They're incredible. They do three times the business of other stores in the same shopping malls with the same kind of merchandise. All because the Nordstrom's basic philosophy is the only difference between stores is the way they treat the customer. Just recently I was speaking for Promise Keepers in Boise and... Uh, I was, I was going to leave that Saturday night after speaking there and go to Sacramento to, to speak at a large Presbyterian church on Sunday. And Margaret and I were leaving Monday morning to go to China for three weeks, and so um, Margaret was going to get me a couple pair of shoes. And uh, so she went, went down to Nordstrom's while I was gone to get them. I got in a Sunday evening, I don't know, about 6.30, and uh, loved the shoes, tried them on. They were both, I had given her the wrong size, and they were both half size too small. 
She called Nordstrom's up and, and, uh, and she said I was, I was down to get these shoes. got the wrong size. She said, my husband and I have to leave. We, we, our flight leaves at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning for China. She says, is there any way, you know, the store didn't open until 10. She says, is there any way that we could do something about this before we, uh, before we leave? The lady down at Nordstrom said, oh, Mrs. Maxwell, it's no problem at all. She says, now, you know, we don't officially open until 10, but she said, if you'd come by about 8.30, 8.45, if you'll come by and she described which door to come to, she said, we'll have one of our people there and we'll be waiting for you and we'll unlock the door for you. And we'll let you in and we'll, we'll call our shoe guy tonight and we'll tell him to come in early because we want him to take care of you. And, and if you'll just meet us there about 8.45 in the morning, we'll be there. And so sure enough, Mark and I are down there in the next morning and nobody's there, obviously, except right there by that door. There's a lady. She unlocks the door. She said, you must be the Maxwells. We've been expecting you. Come on in. She starts walking us down the, down the, 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 toward the shoe area. We only get about halfway there. Here comes the shoe guy towards us, puts his hand on. Hi, you must be the Maxwell's been waiting for you. I've got the shoes, I think, at the right size. Put us down, set us down. Try to, literally in five minutes, i got the right shoes on. They box them all up for me. Thank me very much. Give me a handshake. They take us right back to the door. I lock the door. And they say, now, if there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. Have a great trip. Compare that to the average usher on Sunday morning. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> Leaders always go the second mile. Boy, it is so true. The letter R stands for relationships. Leaders love people. If you can't lead them, you can't and won't love them. And if you don't love them, you shouldn't lead them. Loving them and leading them got us go in the same category. Many, many years ago, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, at a Standard Oil gas station. And I can still remember standing in the rain, writing down why customers quit. It was on the door of the Standard Oil Station, Cincinnati, Ohio. Why do customers quit? One percent die. Now, I want to start right off by saying, if people die, that's a valid reason for them quitting. I'm telling you. Businessman, if they die, don't ask them to come back. Pastors, let them alone. Although, wouldn't it be nice to get at least their tithe back? Just a thought, just a thought. 1% die, 3% move away, 5% other friendships, 9% competition, 14% product dissatisfaction. Watch this one, 68%. It's an attitude of indifference toward the customer that makes people quit. Your relationships with your people is so absolute key in leading people. Remember when you were in school, think about, the, think about the teachers that had an impact upon your life. Think about the classes where you did well. Think about where you got your good grades. There was something common about the class that you liked, the class that you did well. You know what it was common? And that is you had a good relationship with the teacher. 
I learned a long time ago, you learn from people you like. And I learned a long time ago, you follow people you love. And people won't charge hills and die for leaders that do not have a bondedness or a connection or a relationship. When I talk to you on the subject, leadership is influence. I will talk to you about a subject that I never hear anybody talk about, I never read about, but man, I'm telling you, it's so key in leadership, and that is the ability to connect with people. Have you ever gone, have you ever seen the train? Have you ever gone down and, and just watched the train when it was connecting cars? And how they'll back up and, and they'll connect and somebody along the track will make sure that the couplings are tied in there the right way and, and then they pull away. You know what I know? Many, many leaders never connect with their people. They back up and bang the car. You got me? Mr. Engine, Mr. Leader, backs up, bangs the car, never couples. And then heads off. The good news is he's going the right way. The bad news is nobody's with him. And remember my favorite leadership proverb. He that thinketh he leadeth and hath no one following him is only taking a walk. And I know all kind of people taking walks. What happened? Very simple. They never connected. Focus on the Family just last month put out a book of mine entitled Breakthrough Parenting. It's basically ten breakthroughs that every parent needs with their child. And one of the breakthroughs that I talk about in this book is the ability to connect. The ability to bond with your child. Now, your child's always going to do what you want them to do. They're not going to always be what you want them to be. It's that connectedness or that bondedness that when they go out on the peripheral and go out on the edge, it's that bondedness that has a tendency to bring them back. It's that bondedness that helps us as parents to love them unconditionally. And leaders love their people. In fact, here's what happens if you don't have the right relationship with people, if you don't love them. It's the old, uh, by the way, it's a, it's the old Charlie Brown cartoon that I saw one time that he was saying, you know, I love mankind, it's just people I can't stand. So easy for us to love mankind. It's those people. When we bond and when we connect with people, when we, when we develop the right kind of relationship, here's what I have found. We were in Israel a few years ago. And we were in the Golan Heights area, and they were telling us about, of course, the, the war with Syria. And, and our guide was talking to us about Israeli generals. And he said, you know, the casualties in the Israeli army, as far as generals are concerned, are very, very high. In most, in most armies, generals very seldom are killed. But he said in the Israeli army, they're killed off. And he said, the reason why is the generals always lead the charge up the hill. They don't send their people. They lead them. And he said, there's something inspirational about the fact that your leader is charging the hill with you. There's something inspirational about the bondedness of a leader and his or her people. That they've connected. And that there's a relationship that is deep there. And that relationship is the empowering 
aura of a congregation or a business that allows them to go to a new level. I, I, I close with this story. Enjoys uh, making a transition ourselves, and we're moving from San Diego to Atlanta. And the reason we're moving to Atlanta is we want to be more in the center of, of, of what I would consider the uh, Christian community. Uh, 80% of the people in the United States can be, I can get to 80% of the people in America from the Atlanta airport within two hours. And you know everybody goes to Atlanta as far as the airport's concerned. I mean, it, it, it's, the, the saying is if you go to heaven or hell, you've got to go to Atlanta first. Now, now, or Dallas. Now, when I shared with the Enjoy people that, of the move, most of them are Southern Californians. They're born in Southern California. I mean, that's all they've ever known is just wonderful Southern California. And when I stood in front of those 78 employees, and I began to share with them the vision of going to Atlanta. And I, I tell you, I can't describe to you the feeling in the room, but the, the, the feeling of family, the feeling of of one for all and all for one. And, and when we asked them just kind of the, the initial response, 90% of them said, we want to go to Atlanta. 90% of them have never even been to Atlanta. What is that? It's relationships. It's, it's sitting together and loving and sharing and imparting and bonding and connecting. Until you and I both understand that the dream that is worth pursuing is worth pursuing together. And if you and I are ever going to accomplish anything as a leader, it's not going to be what we can do, it's what we can do with our people, and we can only do it with our people when the relationship and the bondedness is there. Okay, leaders lead, leaders equip. Leaders have an attitude that is uncommon among people, an attitude of tenaciousness. Leaders dream. Leaders excel and go way beyond average, and leaders relate well with people. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to be that kind of a person.